The sense of community and the cultivating community is a really big piece of who we are at Immerman Angels. Um, when you become part of sort of the cancer team or the cancer community, you're part of a sort of a club that no one ever wants to be part of. Welcome to Miles for Change. I'm your host, Jen DeSalvo, coaching you through the stories of determination of the runners and the charity teams they race for in the Bank of America Chicago Marathon. This episode is going to spend a few miles with Immerman Angels. There's several groups out there that are doing great work to fight cancer. But when you hear a diagnosis, all that is wanted is someone who understands to tell us, to show us that it can all be okay. And that mentor, well, oftentimes can't be a family member or a friend. Instead, it's a stranger who has gone through the same fight using the same tools. They are the best person to lend that hand. And that is where Immerman Angels comes in. So get ready, get set, let's go. These miles for change are for Immerman Angels. Cancer is a crazy thing because never in your life will you feel like so much attention and never will you feel so alone because people do not understand it. It was always from the beginning about um, making sure, ensuring no one had to go through cancer alone. I'm Dave Louthen. I'm the director of Team Immerman Angels. We have over 13,000 what we call mentor angels. Those are folks who have faced cancer before, either as a a fighter, now they're a survivor, or they could be a fellow previvor, or they could be a caregiver. And a caregiver is kind of a tricky term because caregiver doesn't necessarily mean someone who's standing next to someone who's lying in a hospital bed. A caregiver could be a daughter, let's say during COVID, a daughter living in Brooklyn and her mom lives in Schaumburg. And let's say her mom was diagnosed with cancer. Now with COVID, they're not gonna allow that daughter to go anywhere near her mom. Well, her daughter is a caregiver and her daughter needed help. Here's an example. A person who reached out in the height of the pandemic lockdown around the time of hmm, Memorial Day 2020. I thought that this person was contacting me because they needed, um, the person who was facing cancer as a fighter needed a mentor angel. A mentor angel, of course, is the person who is the mentor to the person facing cancer presently. So someone's already been there. And as we spoke, this person said, no, 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 it's not for my father, it's for me. I can't deal with the fact right now that I can't go see my father. And this is my best friend. And so we matched this person with a mentor angel because COVID, or maybe it's not COVID, maybe it's right now COVID's not, want to say where we are with COVID, but if you're in a job in New York City and your relative who has cancer lives all the way on the other side in Walla Walla, Washington, you know, that person needs help too. So we're here to help everybody. A really cool resource to have, but I'm getting way ahead of myself here. First, I can tell you how it all began for Immerman Angels. It started with one man named Johnny, Johnny Immerman. He was 26 years old at the time, and it was after a football game at the University of Michigan. And he um, was shooting pool at a bar. All of a sudden, a stabbing feeling. Johnny couldn't move, so he was taken to the hospital. And within 24 hours, his life took a, a traumatic detour. Johnny was 26 years old when he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Whatever problems Johnny or any of us might be having, the day before we find out we're facing cancer, or one of our loved ones is facing cancer, 
seemed big at the time, right? I've got a job. How's that going? I'm dating someone. Boy, I, I, does she like me? I hope she does because I like her. Um, how's my mom doing? How's my dad doing? How are all those things going? I'm in an MBA program. Those are kind of the things Johnny was dealing with. And then all of a sudden, you find out, you hear the words that you never want to hear. You have cancer. He had the most incredible support system, his family, his friends. He jokes that his first chemo infusion, I think the nurses had to tell them to be quiet because there were so many people there. He was surrounded by love. Um, but at the same time, he said he never felt more alone. He had his family, his brother, his mom, and a lot of friends. But he said he would walk around the hospital and see people that were just alone. And even the folks who were not alone getting chemo were kind of alone. He faced cancer there, he beat it. He faced cancer a year, year and a half later, beat it there. And a group of young survivors in and around Detroit and Chicago got together and they said that there was like a crack. Something was missing in the fight against cancer. He was a 26-year-old young adult. He didn't know anyone who had ever survived cancer his age. He couldn't turn to his mom and say, what's it like to date after you have testicular cancer? Couldn't turn to his best friend and say, what does it feel like when the needle goes in for chemo? He needed to talk to someone who had been through it, and he didn't have that. And so he decided to create it. Now, he's not from here, but he decided to start the organization in Chicago? He started in earnest in Michigan. He really started right out of his own treatment in a very informal way where he would just go from hospital room to hospital room with other young survivors to say, you know, look at me, I made it through, I'm past the finish line, I'm here to tell you what that looks like around the corner. And he did it informally there. And then when he moved to Chicago, he kept getting calls from people who would say, hey, my best friend was just diagnosed with kidney cancer. Do you know anyone who they can talk to? And again, he was doing it sort of on his own on the side. And then he thought there's something here. There's, there's a real need. And that's when he decided to, to really formally launch Immerman Angels. The crack in the system was this one-on-one -on -one support. And in Immerman Angels, if you look at cancer as a big pie, and all these other organizations are doing incredible work, looking for cures, helping people get to chemotherapy. We have just a tiny sliver, but we think it's a really important part of it. Psychosocial support. We, we um, how do we say this at Team Immerman Angels? We run so no one faces cancer alone. We've made over 33,000 matches, um, which is amazing. Uh, but that 13,000 number, those number of mentors that we've trained and registered, what I love to sort of to really make sure folks understand is when you have a bench that deep, you can match people with a real sort of customization and specificity. It's not this person has breast cancer and this person has breast cancer. It is, this person has triple negative breast cancer, they're BRCA positive, they're about to have a double mastectomy, and they are a marathon runner. They wanna to talk to another marathon runner who has also had this surgery because they wanna know they're gonna be able to get back out there after surgery. And we can do that because we have these deep relationships and this vast network. So people are more than their cancer diagnosis and we like to make sure that when we're matching people, we recognize and honor that. Now this match, Immerman Angels is such a diverse network that they can create these matching relationships for anyone, any type of cancer, any stage of cancer, anywhere in the world. We've matched in 106 countries, so we are worldwide. Wow. Oh my gosh, you guys probably even have to do different languages in <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean it's that's becoming more and more complex yeah. because um, we need to make sure that we're building the most diverse uh, uh, you know, network of mentor angels so that we can meet all of the needs of these folks. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, 
You have a marathon team. We have a marathon team for Chicago, for New York, and for Berlin. Oh, wow. Yes. How long has a marathon team been here in Chicago? Um, gosh, we have been here for over, we've been doing it for over 10 years, the Chicago Marathon. Okay. And everybody was a runner before? Um, no, <laughs> myself included. Yes, when I got talked into it. Um, there are a lot of folks who sign up because they are so inspired by the stories of our runners mm -hmm. and the, their stories, you know, their family stories. And yeah, so. Okay. So yes. you've run. I we ran. need to hear your story. <laughs> My story, the, the team here likes to joke. Um, when I started, folks would say, you know, there's a big running community at Emberman Angels. There's <laughs> lots of runners. And I would sort of laugh and say, good luck. And they'd say, are you ever going to run the Chicago Marathon? And I'd say, no way. Um, no way. Uh, I was not a runner. I'd maybe run a 5K 10 years ago, uh, 10 years before I ran the marathon and had not put on running shoes since. My first year at Emmerman Angels, I was maybe six months into the job. It was the 2018 marathon. And every year we do what's called halo hospitality. We do a, a pasta dinner the night before and all kinds of fun amenities and support for our runners and their families. Um, so we were at our pasta dinner the night before and we had a speaker. Um, she was probably 60-ish. She and her identical twin sister had run... 20-ish marathons together, and they were about to close out their, their marathon career together at the Chicago Marathon. And her identical twin sister was diagnosed with cancer on a Tuesday and died that Saturday. It was that quick. And this woman, the, the team was Team Coco, and her sister was Colleen. And Colleen gathered probably about 10 members of her family, and they all said, we're going to do this together. We're going to do this for Coco. Um, and all from all across the country, they came and they ran the marathon in memory of their sister, aunt, mother, um, best friend, this team of 10. And Colleen was up there telling the story, and I will never remember. I'm grabbing napkins from people all around me because I'm sobbing so much. And I went up after and I said, if they can do this in their sort of moment of grief and loss, I can do this. Like, what is my excuse? What's my excuse? And on a whim that night, you know, tears, I'm like, I'm going to do it next year. And then, you know, two hours later, I thought, oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? Wait a second. Yeah. So you had just joined on as the executive director here like four months prior about. Yeah. And, and you were... I was so inspired. I mean, it sounds hokey, but these no. people were, I mean, they had, they had trained, they had stories. They were there with their, their wife who had just finished treatment or their mother who, you know, who had just been diagnosed. They were all doing it for these deeply meaningful reasons. They had such personal stories. And I thought, you know what? I, what's my excuse? Yeah. What's my excuse? So I signed up and I literally started training that week because I knew this, I haven't run in a really, really, <laughs> really long time. And I trained for, you know, almost a year. Yeah. And um, it was the best thing I have ever done for myself. Um, and it was, you know, a pretty awesome thing to do for a lot of people, but um, it was deeply meaningful for me personally, which I didn't expect. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a desired outcome, but it was a, a, a real important one for me. So. so what did you think going into, you know, after yeah. you woke up the next morning and realized that your eyes were a little bit puffy and yeah. you had just told hundreds of people that you were going to do something that yeah. many people 
tell us is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think on that day? So, I, you know, I thought I was crazy. I thought, <laughs> what did I just do? I was sure I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in good shape. I hadn't ever run that even close to that far. You know, I barely ran to the bus at that point. Um, and my friends thought I was nuts. And I remember watching their reactions. And, and I, I could tell that they thought, she's, you know, there's no way she's going to do it. She says she's going to do it. It's a year out. There's no way she's going to do it. And I remember thinking, I'm going to prove them wrong. You know, I am going to prove them wrong. Um, and then slowly but surely, I mean, there were months I thought, how am I ever going to be able to do this? You know, mm-hmm. after one mile, I thought, how am I going to do 26? But slowly but surely, the training works. Um, and slowly but surely, I started to think, this is this is gonna happen. I'm really gonna do this. Um, yeah, and it was it was spectacular. Ah, so the training works. All right, we have this one man, Johnny, who had an idea, and it has changed the lives of tens of thousands of people. Those directly affected by cancer, but not just them. The runners like Stephanie, who learned that she was capable of taking on and finishing the marathon. Now, what do people like Stephanie raising funds for Immerman Angels mean to the organization? We meet some of those people next on Miles for Change. What is the importance of this of the marathon team to mm-hmm. Immerman Angels? Uh, it's sort of a, it's it's layered. Um, we talk a lot about the awareness that the team the team Immerman Angels and our marathon runners build, raising awareness and then clearly raising money. Uh, the the team raises a significant portion of our of our budget every year, so they are doing remarkable work to build our community and build our audience and to provide the resources that we need to keep moving forward. Over the years, what have you seen mm-hmm. with the changes in the marathon team? You know, it's interesting. I think for a while, it was friends of Johnny's. Okay. It was people who were interested in running. And the more our organization has grown and matured, it has become people who are connected to our mission mm-hmm. and to the work we do. What we're starting to see now is there are all of these stories and connections, not just to our program, but to cancer in general. People are running for their mom. They're running for their sister. They're, you know, they're partner, whatever it may be. So it's a deeply personal, meaningful experience. I talked to a woman two weeks ago on the phone who is running because she was a 33-year-old breast cancer patient two years ago, signed up for our matching services, had this incredible experience when she met her mentor and was able to be really sort of coached and mentored and supported by this woman. Um, She finished treatment about six months ago. She signed up almost on the same day to be a mentor angel and for the Chicago Marathon to run for Team IA. She doesn't live here, um, but she wanted to do something to give back. My name is Nicole Schroeder, and I am running with um, Team Immerman Angels. I first signed up to run with Team Immerman Angels Um, in 2020. Nicole said she first learned about Immerman Angels back around 2014 while she was working in healthcare. I heard Johnny Immerman, who was the founder of um, Immerman Angels, come and um, sort of share his story uh, of of his cancer um, diagnosis and experience and what led him into um, sort of creating um, Immerman Angels, the nonprofit um, cancer support 
community. She started following them on socials, but Nicole didn't ever have a connection to cancer. Flash forward, I moved to Seattle to work at a biotech company that develops cancer therapies. And all of a sudden, you know, cancer is now something that I'm thinking about every day. And I move into a patient advocacy role and just learning about the patient experience through speaking with people who were diagnosed with cancer and how important one-on-one connection and support and, you know, speaking and learning from others who have sort of gone through this is just so important. And so I decided that I wanted to run the marathon in 2020 and join their team and fundraise to support their mission because I'm learning how important this is. So it's 2020, she's training, she's in the peak shape of her life, busting out seven miles an hour. I was so scared of a marathon, but I thought if people can get through treatments, you know, why can't I get through this marathon? And then, so marathon gets canceled. Flash forward to 2021, I was thinking, okay, if there's another marathon, maybe this will be now a great time to get back into shape because the gym's closed and I wasn't going to Orange Theory Fitness, but I got sidetracked by my own cancer diagnosis. I was diagnosed in April of 2021 with breast cancer at the age of 33. I was sidelined by treatments and, um, you know, all of that. I finished my last cycle of chemotherapy in September of 2021 and then had my last surgery in October. During this point in time, you had already known about Immerman Angels. Did you reach out to them? I did. They were the first organization that I reached out to for my own like personal connection and support and was connected to a mentor who was just so amazing. You know, you walk into the cancer center and everyone reminds you of how young you are and how you shouldn't have breast cancer. And, you know, it's evident to the waiting room around me that I'm, I'm sort of, I'm younger, right? I'm, uh, and so the person that I was connected with was also a young adult breast cancer survivor. She had the same stage and sort of had the same treatment decisions, things that I were facing and same, you know, surgeries. And we talked a little bit about our, you know, um, both of us at the time of diagnosis were, um, you know, trying to start families and sort of had that sidelined. And so um, she was just, you know, we had a lot in common that we didn't even realize. And I don't even know if, um, you know, we shared all of that when we got matched. But, you know, I think it's just the unique challenges that young adult cancer survivors face. Now, Nicole's experience is similar to the 33,000 people that Immerman Angels has connected over the years. I wanted to know more about the psychological side effects of battling such an uncertain condition, so I reached out to Tim Pierman. He does work in psycho-oncology. The practice focuses on providing support for cancer patients and their families through the different stages of the disease. I'm Tim Pierman, and I'm the director of the Supportive Oncology Program at the Lurie Cancer Center in Chicago, and I'm a professor in the Department of Medical Social Sciences and also Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Northwestern University in the Feinberg School of Medicine. To sum all of that up. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. And so I kind of split my time um, as a hospital administrator 
um, a lot of clinical work with patients who are, who are in, getting treated at the cancer center, and then a little bit of research in addition. Walk me through some of the, the emotions that you see a newly diagnosed patient going through who's, who's never had experience with this before in their life. Yeah. And there are some commonalities there. So I think pretty much every person that's diagnosed with cancer has an initial just crash. I mean, they feel like they've fallen off a cliff, um, emotionally. And so it, it involves fear, depression. A lot of times people feel really numb for a few days or weeks. Um, and, and I think then that fear takes over because, they don't know exactly what they're facing. Initially, you don't know what the treatment recommendations are going to be. Um, people may be seeking second opinions, third opinions, and getting a lot of different feedback, not only from their medical professionals, but the people in their lives. And so then the next phase, I would say, is typically when treatment starts. And from then on, I think for most people, it's sort of a steady uphill climb to getting back to some sense of emotional normalcy. So when people get into treatment, oftentimes they'll, they'll say, you know, I, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but I can do this. I've realized that I can actually get through this treatment. I can survive the treatment. I can do what I need to do to take care of my own health. And so I think at that point, they start to really get a little bit closer to normal. And then I would say the next stage oftentimes just involves managing the physical impact of a cancer diagnosis. So um, the fatigue being the most prevalent symptom across all cancer types and stages with you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 90% of people experiencing really significant uh, fatigue at the very least during their cancer treatment. But oftentimes that can become a symptom that they experience after cancer treatment as well. And so once they've kind of dealt with the emotional part, it really focuses on dealing with some of those more practical aspects. So the physical part, childcare, what does this mean for their work relationships, their family relationships, and those kinds of things. Now, you hear a lot when it comes to any type of sickness, people will tell you, you know, if you if you say stay positive, things will be better or like, you know, they, they were able to overcome it because they had hope. And that could be true in some aspects. How, do, though, does having that positivity, that hope, that drive really translate into the way somebody goes about caring and, and getting their treatment. I think to your point, that idea of positivity uh, can really be a double-edged sword. So one of my mentors in my career, her name was Jimmy Holland, and she essentially kind of started the field of psycho-oncology, what I do. And she wrote an article one time that was called The Tyranny of Positive Thinking. And in this article, she basically pointed out that as soon as you're diagnosed with cancer, everyone gets this message that you have to stay positive, don't get depressed, take care of yourself, have hope, you're going to survive this. And her point was, it's completely unrealistic to think that you could be diagnosed with a potentially life-threatening disease and be positive all the time. That would be crazy. Like, who could possibly do that? And what that does is it really leads to people feeling a lot of guilt, um, feeling like, why am I not coping well? Because I don't feel positive all the time. I do have times when I get really depressed. I get really scared. I get really anxious before my treatments. What am I doing wrong? 
Um, and so, you know, I think it's really important to moderate the positivity and the message of hope with the realistic aspect that you're going to have down times as you go through this journey. Um, but that said, I do think hope is so important. And that may be the hope for a cure or a long-term remission, but it may also be hope that you can make it through the next treatment without too much fatigue, or that you can survive without much pain, or that you can you have hope that you can go back to work in a reasonable amount of time. So I think the hope can be really short-term, or it can be much more of a long-term hope. And you're talking about like falling into a depression and, you know, one of my friends was saying, oh, uh, so it's not okay for me to to stay in bed all day right now. And it's like, well, if you understand that, that's what's going on. Um, and, you know, then it's hard to maybe pick yourself up and, and take the medicine or bring yourself to treatment. And how would a mentor angel come into play in, in kind of the motivation and assisting with that? Yeah, mentor angels are are just crucial in that, I think, because again, family and friends want to be helpful. They want to be supportive. They love us. They care about us. But a mentor angel can actually say, I truly understand what you're going through. And I didn't get out of bed for a few weeks after I was diagnosed. I crashed into depression. And here's how that played out for me. Um, whereas a family member may see you in bed for a week and not wanting to engage in your normal activities and be really significantly worried about you. Like, is this a clinical depression? Do you, I need to get help? Are you feeling suicidal? Like they can really um, kind of jump off a cliff in terms of their worries. Whereas a mentor angel can say, dial it back. This is okay. This is normal. You're going to come out of this hole. Um, and this is how it worked for me. So you mentioned the word psycho-oncology. That's a really cool term. Um, <laughs> besides what you already told us, what else can you tell me about that practice? Yeah, so it's, it's really dealing with the full sort of range of psychosocial aspects that contribute to care. So that may be obviously the emotional side of this. So things like depression, anxiety, worry, um, kind of existential fears. What does this diagnosis mean for kind of my spiritual beliefs, the way I see the world, but it also involves a lot of really practical things. So how does this cancer diagnose diagnosis affect your relationships within your family? How do you approach this diagnosis at work with your colleagues? Do you want to tell everyone about this diagnosis? Do you want to pick and choose who knows? All of those kinds of things really, really factor into this. And, and also, how does this impact your things like exercise, sexual functioning, um, pain management? All of those things kind of factor into this, the psychosocial oncology piece. Also, I've heard, you know, when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, they tell their friends, they tell their coworkers, everybody says, let me know what I can do to help. And that kind of just leaves it open. And, I, you know, friends who have gone through cancer diagnoses say they feel like a burden. So what are some things that we can say to the people that we love 
as soon as it happens. I think when people say that, again, it's really well-intentioned. But as the person who's diagnosed with cancer, you don't want to be a burden. And so most people just say, I'll let you know. And they never need anything, even though they probably have a lot of needs. So I think it's really important as a support person to suggest some really specific things and say, can I provide transportation to your appointments? Can I provide some meals so that you don't have to cook? Do you need help with childcare? So really making some specific offers um, that can let the, the person who's diagnosed with cancer know that you're really serious about it and that you're paying attention to their personal situation. And again, I think that's where a mentor angel comes in so handy because at this point, Immerman Angels has so many mentors involved in the organization that they really can match people up very specifically on, you know, if I'm a 35-year-old female who has two small children at home and is working full-time, they can kind of match you demographically on those things with someone who's not only going through the same thing in terms of their treatment, but also just their day-to-day life and challenges. How does it make you feel on a daily basis to know you're making the impact on others' lives that you do? It's really, really rewarding. Um, and, and people will ask me, you know, isn't it, isn't it emotionally draining? Isn't it hard? Isn't it difficult? And it, and it definitely can be. It's not easy to, to see people that are oftentimes at really the lowest point in their lives. But to see people and the resilience they have kind of climb out of that hole and get back to a sense of normalcy and in many cases say, you know, I feel like I'm coming out the other end of this cancer experience, a stronger person than I was before. That's incredibly rewarding and really inspiring. Tim then connected me with one of his patients who told me that the relationship has been invaluable. Although they didn't meet through Immerman Angels, Tim serves that man's family and has sessions to help his primary caregiver, his wife, work through all of the what ifs that came with her husband's cancer diagnosis. Now that guy's name, well, it's Marty. You'll meet him. You're just gonna have to wait for his episode. The organizations that I've been talking to, I did not realize how much of their bottom line was affected by the funds that are coming in through the Marathon fundraising team. Do you know roughly what about um, like percentage of your, your budget comes from the efforts of Team IA? It's a substantial part of what we do at Aaron Angels is funded by our team members in the Chicago Marathon. We also do the Berlin Marathon and the New York City Marathon. But in 20, 2019 was the last really big year. And last year was, well, last year we were back too. So hopefully 2022 will be kind of like where it was in 2019. But uh, we were over $400,000 that was raised out of a budget. You know, we're talking over 30% of our budget. That's why when people put on the singlet, the Team Aaron Angels Blue Singlet, we talk about awareness as one of the pillars of what we do at Aaron Angels with Team Aaron Angels creating awareness so folks can find out more about the one-on-one cancer support. Liz Ladowick is a runner. My first marathon, I was like, how am I going to run this whole thing? And it like did not even occur to me that like I could just start walking. Yep. <laughs> okay, a marathoner, but a run walker. I've been pacing the run walk program for probably like three years. And she's been on Team Immerman Angels since 2020. I've run marathons for 
for myself and I run marathons for charity. And even if given the opportunity, I always still like will run the Chicago Marathon for charity. She says she always sets her fundraising goals ridiculously high. Like really like pie in the sky, like ginormous. But that's only because in 2020, during the pandemic, a year that didn't have in-person races and many struggled to raise funds, she got creative. Fun fact, I was like so anxious about raising $3,000 in six months. I remember coming home from work and I like threw up because I was probably so nervous about it. And um, and then like, so the idea of raising $3,000 in six months like completely freaked me out. And I actually ended up raising that in like the first couple of months. I was like, well, if I stop fundraising now, I've got like three or four months where it like I'm going to basically like I, I'm like I need to just keep fundraising because this is what keeps me accountable like this is what keeps me motivated this is what keeps me moving forward um and I ended up like doubling it like I ended up like by my the day of my virtual marathon I think I raised $6,300 and I like never thought I'd be able to do that a couple of years ago during the pandemic you did a really cool thing and you ran to find like every mural in the city. Yes, I did. Tell me about like that whole awful, <laughs> awful time that you turned into something really cool. Well, okay. So in 2020, you know, I signed up for New York City two weeks before everything shut down. And uh, I had this like whole idea of how I was going to raise so much money for Immerman Angels for the New York City Marathon. Um, and like with the pandemic, all of those plans changed. Liz is a very likable person. She's outgoing, always smiling. She expected to host happy hour parties, large fundraising events and social gatherings, but those just couldn't happen. I had to like come up with an idea of like how to train. <laughs> and, uh, I actually saw one of my friends run a virtual marathon in June. She ran grandma's marathon virtually. And so watching her do that and just like see all our friends come out and like go you know to different parts of this path that she'd planned for herself i um found that just like so inspiring kind of when i like set my mind to do something like i just kind of find a way through and not just like quit i was like you know what i'm gonna see if i can train for a virtual marathon in november of 2020 and so i um, since I had to like kind of pivot on like different ideas of like how I was going to raise that money, I decided I was going to do a run streak. And so I asked my friends to donate like pennies on the dollar for every mile that I ran during a 50 day um, run streak where I ran at least one mile every single day. And um, the first couple days, I remember taking selfies and like posting how many miles that I'd run. Um, to my friends on social media just for the accountability piece and I was like you know what if this is just like 50 pictures of me standing in front of my front of my front yard this is going to be very boring really fast on our street there's um, a little mosaic in a pothole um, Jim Bakker he's an art, a local artist who does these like beautiful mosa mo mosaics and he um, puts them in potholes. <laughs> and um, so I decided one day to take a picture with one of these mosaics on my street and use that as my selfie. That set Liz on a mission. You know, there's a lot of really cool murals in Chicago. Like maybe um, I could turn this into like something interesting. Like became a really 
um, interesting piece for me to be able to like run somewhere completely different that I'd never run before. So I started planning out my routes to like different neighborhoods, um, especially because like I didn't want to run the same route every every day if I didn't have to. And so I just was like, you know what? I heard there's a cool like Chicago greetings postcard. And so I like planned my route one day to like run to that mural and take a selfie with it. Um, when I was in Logan Square, I realized that there's like hundreds and hundreds of murals there. Like I saw the Robin Williams mural. And so like the next week I was like, next week I'm going to run here. One of my friends was like, Hey, I saw your mural. I want to run there. So then I like took her on a path to run with me there and like, you know, found a different mural and used that one instead that day. And it just became this really cool thing. It was really awesome to be able to like feature different local artists and tag their work um, in my post so that other people, you know, you drive by murals all the time. And it's, you know, you know, a lot of people don't know, like the background of like who painted those pieces or like who's behind it. And it was nice to be able to like feature different local artists and um, be able to like plan different runs like, oh, I want to get, you know, that artist on my, you know, in my 50 pieces or, oh my gosh, I need to get so-and-so in my, in my collection or whatever. I kind of felt like I was collecting. Um, I found this website that had... Um, different like basically like geolocations of like different murals people post them and so um there were times where I would see a cool mural in this app and like I would run there and it would be gone or something and maybe like that building had been torn down it had been painted over so sometimes like I would run out to like you know, a couple of miles from my house only to find out that those, some of those murals weren't there. But, um, but then sometimes it was like, I kind of felt a little bit like Indiana Jones or something because <laughs> I would sometimes be like, it's all right, you know, I'm coming and I'm almost there. And then I'd get around the corner and be like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, so I was like kind of excited. It was like very treasure hunty. Um, but at the end of the, I think at the end of the 50 days, I probably raised like six or $700 just in pledges. And then I ended up actually doing it again because it was so many friends were in, inspired by it and wanted to do a run streak as well. And so I did it again and, you know, kind of created a little Facebook group for those people to like kind of post their pictures and, and you know, and kind of celebrate their successes with that too. So it was a very, very fun way to raise money, create awareness, and um, also just kind of also be accountable to my training. <laughs> Do you have a coffee table book coming out with all of these murals of Chicago? <laughs> no, but I've actually kind of considered maybe putting one together for that year because that was a crazy year to run. Liz told me that her involvement with Immerman Angels recently came full circle for her. I always, you know, try to reach out to everyone that's donated and just send them a, a quick email or a note that just says thank you. And so I had one of my college friends donate and I realized I hadn't talked to her in a few years. And um, so I just, you know, reached out to her. I said, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate, you know, your donation and whatnot. And she reached out to me and told me that her husband had, um, had been diagnosed and that her mentor has been crucial in this process of him going through his treatment, understanding like the work that we do to like create the awareness and to create the fundraising and help the organization make those connections. Like there's real people on the other side of those, of those donations. And like for it to come back to me in that way was just like so hugely impactful. This season, Liz is setting her goal ridiculously high again. 
She wants to raise $7,000 to help mentors match with cancer patients. Every year, Team Immerman Angels throws a post-race party at the Congress Hotel. They call it Halo. Get it? Team Immerman Angels, ah. Halo Hospitality. When they walk in, we have a DJ, and you're, they're asked their name, and they walk in, the DJ turns the music down, our MC says, welcome back. Everyone, or more of the, hey everyone, welcome back. Jen DeSalvo, she just completed the 2022 Bank of America Chicago Marathon. And then the family comes up, gives her a hug, and we've got photographers there, and then the music goes back up and it's a party mm. and it's a celebration. And um, those folks who are taking part in the marathon very often have family members with them who they ran in honor of. And so it's it's really quite quite a spectacle. When you went back to the Congress Hotel and mm -hmm. then also the, you know, the inspiration dinner, the pasta yeah. party the night before, have you ever felt celebrated the way you did at those events at any other point in your life? No. No. The emotional embrace that you felt when you got done, all of these people, uh, you know, who are waiting for you, it was just, it was... Um, really like the coolest moment ever yeah. to feel like you were being celebrated and sort of feted in this um in this amazing way yeah yeah so that that's what makes us keep going back yeah i don't think i've ever met a person who heard about immerman angels and then at the end said i don't get it or said i'm not really sure how important that would be Literally everybody I've met and told in the eight years I've been in Every Angel says that is important. Well, do you get it now? Over 33,000 connections and a bank of greater than 13,000 trained and registered mentor angels who are willing to give back. And until there's a cure, there's a need. So listen to Cole aren't running miles to collect change as much as they're running miles to make a change in the lives of cancer patients. Find out more at ImmermanAngels.org. So many thank yous to Stephanie Lieber and Dave Lauthan at IA, psycho-oncologist Tim Pierman, runners Nicole Schroeder and Liz Ladewick, our producers Tony Lasano and Keith Conrad, music composer Make Mills. Links to Liz and Nicole are on our page, milesforchangepodcast.com. I am your host, Jen DeSalvo. Thanks again for listening. And I'm reminding you that a half an hour run is just 2% of your entire day. Yep. So lace up, get out, and make a difference. <laughs> or just keep listening. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Happy trails. <laughs>